0: And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with David Shar. He's a keynote speaker, a consultant, a trainer, and he specializes in helping organizations improve their leadership and their culture, but also combat burnout and design meaningful work. And that's the topic we're going to talk about in this conversation. He and I talk about combating burnout, avoiding it, how to see it before it comes. And in this conversation, David and I talk specifically about burnout and meaningful work. We touch on what burnout is, what are the warning signs of burnout, how can you proactively see it coming ahead of time in yourself or someone else, steps that you can take to prevent it in yourself or your employees or your team, as well as how meaningful work can be part of combating that burnout. If you, like me, have felt burnout throughout this year, this podcast episode is a definite must listen. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with David Shar. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, David Shar. David, welcome to
1: the show. Hey, thanks so much, Eric. It's so great to be on here.
0: As a podcaster, if anybody else is a podcaster out there, I'm sure you probably get pitches from people trying to get on your show. Now, in David's defense, he did not pitch himself. Somebody else did. And they did a great job because they showcased him well and, uh, and brought up topics that honestly, I don't know that we've talked about on this show before, specifically the topic of burnout. So this topic of burnout, I I am curious, before we dive into it, I am curious, how did you get interested in this, you know, area, in this kind, you know, this line of work? In other words, career wise, because I know that's not the only thing you talk about. It's one of many, but that and, you know, doing meaningful work, which I think probably fits in with combating burnout to a certain mm-hmm.
1: extent. How did you walk down this pathway? Yeah, so uh, through ice cream, of course. Uh, it's it's actually an interesting story. So uh, this is definitely a calling for me. I started off in the ice cream business. I was a serial entre- entrepreneur, and this opportunity to purchase an ice cream franchise, a small ice cream parlor in Baltimore City arose and so I love ice cream. This was a really cool place. So I thought, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's let's try this. What I wasn't anticipating was that the majority of the crew members, the the staff that I would inherit from the previous owner, all came from uh, the inner city of Baltimore. So if you've if you're familiar with The Wire on HBO, I mean, that was very much uh the lives of some of these crew members. And so very, very dramatic sort of um lives that I've I've seen in the movies and TV, but you know, growing up as like the spoiled kid from the suburbs, I had never been exposed to it. Uh, but this was this was uh the lives that these people led. So we're talking about things like siblings being murdered on the street. We're talking about parents incarcerated. We're talking about molestation. We're talking about all of these horror stories. And so while I thought I was getting into ice cream, it became clear that this was about much, much more than ice cream in this leadership position. These people came to rely on me and it wasn't just that they were just regular old employees. These were people living traumatic lives And somehow they were finding meaning in scooping ice cream. So the restaurant industry typically has turnover rates of well over 100%. These kids wouldn't leave. They would show up on their days off and I'd have to chase them away from serving customers when they weren't clocked in. They wanted to be at work. They needed to be at work. And so it really hit me. Mark Twain says the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. My second day, uh, I remember very clearly one of my crew members who I knew her boyfriend was either in the Bloods or the Crips, one of these street gangs. And uh, they thought this was really funny and romantic because uh, her coworker's boyfriend was in the opposite opposing gang. And well, one day it wasn't so cute because that day she had received this phone call that her boyfriend had been shot multiple times and left for dead. She shows up for work that that morning and I see that she seems down. I call her aside and she tells me what happened. I try to chase her away from the store, like go somewhere. And I told her I would pay her for the day, personally cover her shift. But nobody wants to be at work with that type of trauma going on in your life outside. And she refused to leave. And she said to me in that moment, she said, no, I need to be here. I can only be here. This is my happy place. Wow. And that led me to wonder why, what did I accidentally create here? Why is this her happy place? And yet I know people who, and, and I'm good friends with doctors and lawyers and nurses and teachers whose jobs are objectively meaningful. Yet they dread going to work on Monday morning. And this young lady making minimum wage was finding meaning in scooping ice cream along with her coworkers. I needed to learn more and that drove me toward traditional research and going back and getting my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology. And now as an old and bald man, I am still pursuing academically my doctorate in business psychology, specifically studying this interaction between meaningful work and burnout.
0: Wow. There's just such a juxtaposition between the girl that you were talking about who won't leave work and the people who have, again, those quote meaningful jobs that don't want to go. Like I said, there's just such a juxtaposition between those two uh, positions
1: as well as perspectives. Mm. Right. Yeah. And and isn't it interesting that we find burnout most often In these occupations that we would say uh, what we would call objectively meaningful. So teachers have enormous levels of burnout. And I'm talking about before 2020, 2020 is a whole nother story. But even before 2020, nurses, incredible levels of burnout, social workers, incredible levels of burnout, specifically these occupations where they're going to work to help people to change the world, to impact their clients, students, whatever patients, whatever it is those Those are the professions where we see burnout in higher levels and more severe than anywhere else
0: yeah, that's interesting well so i I want to ask why is that, but first, I want to say, okay, a lot of people use the word burnout. We kind of have our own definitions of what that means, but I'm curious how how do you define it because for me it's either exaggerated in that same way that someone said when they're when they're slightly hung- hungry or emotionally um you know, offset where they say they're starving when <laughs> when they are not nearly needing nourishment whatsoever at that time, and and so they, they, you know in that instance they they're calling it burnout. It was like, oh no, I'm just a little tired, or I need a nap, or something like that. It's not it's not extensive, but but what's your definition?
1: Yeah, it's funny you should say that. My <laughs> in my home, I have five children and. Every time one of them makes the mistake of saying, "I'm starving," that you could just you can just anticipate my wife jumping in with "Oh, you're starving <laughs> <laughs> but but you're absolutely right when it comes to burnout what what we call burnout is not always burnout. Um, a lot of times people see that there's high turnover disengagement, and this is these are hints to Uh, employers that maybe there's systemic burnout happening. Um, somebody feels really disattached from their work and and they get this feeling that they're burnt out. Uh, but burnout does have a, uh, clinical sort of definition that, that it's kept since, since really we've been studying this in the, since the, you know, 60s or so. Um, and that is that burnout stands on three main legs. The first one is emotional exhaustion. So this is when people are feeling exactly that emotionally exhausted and it's not physical exhaustion. However, emotional exhaustion can certainly uh, lead to physical exhaustion and could even lead to psychosomatic symptoms and even actual illness. Uh, but it starts with with the sense of emotional exhaustion. They're just emotionally overloaded. The second piece of burnout is this part we call depersonalization. If you are client-facing, patient-facing, student-facing, otherwise it's just generalized uh, cynicism. But what this means is that you start to disconnect. You start to separate yourself from the job and you start becoming very cynical. And so when we see teachers do this, it's separating from those personal interactions with their students and starting to just stick to the grade book. When we see nurses do this, it's they start using more medical jargon and stop thinking of you as, you know, Mr. Eric in room seven and just start talking about the patient in room seven. They start separating themselves from their jobs. And this is actually valuable psychologically because they're trying to protect themselves because they're emotionally exhausted. And so they're trying to dehumanize you to a certain extent. In order to make their job more doable in that mental state. And the third piece is this sense of reduced personal accomplishment. I was speaking to a group yesterday and uh, right beforehand, somebody was asking me. So, what are you going to be talking about? What do you do? And I said, you know, I'm a burnout expert. And and she said, oh, I feel so burnout. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I just feel like I'm churning my wheels and nothing is happening. I'm like, exactly. That's one third of burnout. This this uh, reduced sense of personal accomplishment, where and this can be real or imagined. Uh, And it doesn't make a difference. But the idea is that we feel like we're churning our wheels. We're moving twice as fast to get things done and nothing is happening. We just don't feel like we're accomplishing what we should be accomplishing with our efforts.
0: Before going into any kind of the ways that you can combat burnout, how do we start to identify in ourselves early warning signs for burnout uh, and for that matter, how do we as if if we're an employer or if we're a team member, how do we identify somebody else near us is starting to uh burn out because I think it's gonna be a little, little bit different there, wouldn't you think like i'm gonna know i how can I notice it in myself, but also how can I notice it in somebody else? The way we notice it might be different, I'm guessing
1: I think yes and no, there are similarities in terms of when you are identifying it with yourself, it's almost like burnout, it has some relation to depression. It's not exactly analogous to depression, and it is very specific to the workplace as opposed to depression. But there, there are certain similarities. And one of these is that when we talk about burnout, we're talking about you start losing interest in things that used to be interesting to you. So you used to be engaged in your job. Oftentimes, burnout is described as the opposite end of an, of, an, of a job engagement scale. So where you used to like getting up for work in the morning, now you are dreading it. You want a vacation. You are feeling cynical about everything at work. Uh, those types of things are signs that, that you might be burning out. Now, if you are identifying this in your coworkers, or if you are a leader, leaders, managers, they need to be able to identify uh, issues like burnout, especially because it turns out that burnout is highly contagious. So if one person starts to suffer from burnout, it will very quickly spread across the team or across the organization. And so it is critical to recognize it in others. One of the main ways that we recognize it in others is when it's too late. We start to see uh turnover, And that's a that's a key way to recognize it. What's interesting is when you look at law firms, smaller law firms see a lot of turnover. Larger law firms see much less turnover. So you would probably come to the conclusion that there's less burnout. No, the data suggests that there's actually more, more burnout. But is a lawyer really going to leave a six figure job where they're building their way up? They might be feeling burned out, but they might feel like they're handcuffed to the position. And so they won't turn over. And sometimes that is way more dangerous than the cost of actual turnover. And so uh, if you want to catch it before you start seeing these symptoms, are people doing the extracurricular? Are they going above and beyond for the organization and for their coworkers. If that is the norm in your organization, which I believe it should be, that people are doing what we call these OCBs or organizational citizenship behaviors, these things where they don't stick to just their job description. If a colleague needs help, they'll stay stay late to help. If there's a snowstorm and somebody needs to open up the office, they will trudge through the snow to open up the office. Those types of behaviors Will start to disappear, and from the, from your culture, and and that's one way that you can recognize that something is off, and perhaps people are starting to burn out. Mm.
0: It sounds to me like that's them um, doing that dehumanizing, in a sense, but for themselves, where they're you know doing the bare minimum. In other words, they're they're you know mm-hmm. okay, what's the absolute you know baseline that I have to perform at here so I can quote conserve my energy.
1: Right. Absolutely. How often do we hear people say that's not in my job description? That is a very, very toxic thing to hear. And on the flip side, we hear from managers way too often. I pay them to do that job. And that is equally as toxic. And I say to leaders all the time, I say you pay them to show up. Everything else is extra. You know, you got (laughs) to You got to do more to get more. Uh, But that but that is that is really unhealthy when you start seeing people really sort of pulling out their job description and sticking to the letter of the law. I want to
0: talk a little bit about proactively maybe taking steps to um, alleviate the possibility of burnout ahead of time. But from a personal standpoint, my question here is how do we maybe sense, I mean, I get it, you know, for me myself, I can kind of say, okay, well, if I were the employee, uh, how do I look ahead at myself and see, you know, internally, do I feel like I've started to check out or just do the bare minimum? But what if we're not even thinking about it in that way? Do we need to like, put on those glasses to look at ourselves? Or are there just like, I don't know, are there guardrails? In other words, we can put up for ourselves? In terms of uh, you know keeping ourselves, in terms
1: of early warning signs for ourselves personally, in other words, yeah, I think there's a a few things that are that are critical. One is have a support system, give support and get support. So find a, a team of coworkers that you trust that you can that you can support and grow with, uh, both emotional support and instrumental support. So if you need some actual help with the task, you're falling behind somebody that you can call in, Hey, could you please help me with this? But also somebody who will listen and who can just be your sounding board when you're feeling kind of negative, because you don't need to be burned out to feel negative about things on the job. Sometimes finding that sort of support and, and specifically if you can find a supervisor that gives you that, that kind of support, that's incredibly valuable. Another piece of it is uh, you don't have to go further than the title of your podcast beyond the to-do list. What we often get caught up in our to-do list, we often get caught, caught up in the mundane and the things, the tasks of the work, and we lose sight of the greater purpose of it all. You know, there's uh, some really great research on meaningfulness and meaningful, meaningful work, meaningful life and and empirical research on what does that exactly mean? What is a meaningful life? And one of the great models uh, for meaningful for meaningfulness has found that meaningfulness, a meaningful life comes at the intersection of self and others. In other words, we want to be doing for others. And we know this, right? You want to do for others, a selfish life is an empty life. Well, it turns out that a life where all you're doing is giving to others and there's not self-care happening is also empty. It feels empty to the person. Uh, But then also it's the intersection between being and doing. So are we spending too much time in the weeds? Are we not thinking more about our broader purpose? Are we not? I, I say like 2020 has been all about Zoom, Zoom and Zoom fatigue and, and, you know, this virtual connection. 2021 needs to be about zooming out because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that the rules of the road that we think exist. It's all sort of just made up. We're sort of just going along and doing it. You need to be able to pull out and really understand. Why you do what you do so that if the nature of how you do what you do suddenly changes, like it did for so many of us this year, it doesn't really change much for you. If you know your why, you understand why you're doing what you do. So you don't want to get too bogged down in your to-do list. You want to really understand how it connects with your personal values. And of course, how those connect with the values of your organization. And so regular check ins uh, can can go a long way in preventing burnout. And on the flip side, increasing engagement, not just in the work, but in your life.
0: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search Slash to do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: If you enjoy Beyond the To Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, TheShuBox dot com to learn more.
0: I was talking to a recent guest on the show, and they said something uh, along the same lines where they said uh, one of the reasons that we end up with the feeling of monotony is because we've or, or lost sight or lost perspective on what it is that we are doing. In other words, we're not paying attention to what we're doing anymore. We're on Mm -hmm. autopilot. And Mm -hmm. I think that's another, you know, maybe easy sign there to see is if you feel like everything's the same every day, then maybe you're not thinking about why you're doing those same things every day because you decided to do them at some point or somebody told you to. But either way, you agreed to do it and there was a why there and you've lost sight of your why and stopped paying attention.
1: So now you're asleep at the wheel. Yes. And so many of us are asleep at the wheel in automaticity, this concept of, of uh, the things that go on autopilot. I say that we have the world's most primitive spam filter that our brain recognizes the, the incoming stimuli and decides whether something is relevant enough or not to draw your attention to it consciously. So there's so much in our life that goes right past us that we literally do not see in any meaningful way. Like we are, we are literally blind to it except unconsciously. And this unconscious thinking makes up about 95% of our thinking. 95% of our thinking happens in automaticity in this unconscious way. And so being able to train ourselves to recalibrate our spam filter is of huge value and we can do this. So positive psychology, Martin Seligman is, is this genius of a guy who founded uh, the line of positive psychology, the study of positive psychology. And within it, he talks a lot and his colleagues talk a lot about ways to sort of recalibrate the spam filter, whether it's uh, keeping a gratitude journal or what I love is actually writing, like make a make a plan to write. One thank you note a week, but write a thank you note to like your third grade teacher, write a thank you note to your next door neighbor three houses ago that you never really told them how much they meant to you or a mentor or something like that. And and send these things out. What we know about the science of gratitude is that is that showing gratitude to somebody has great psychological benefits for the recipient, but it has even greater psychological benefits for the bearer of the gratitude or the giver of the gratitude rather. And so so things like this, my family, we have a tradition called our favorite three, where no matter where I am in the world now, it's usually from my office on Zoom. But even beforehand, I would dial in if I wasn't home and wherever we are, we'll get together, me, my wife and and, and our kids will get together and go over our favorite three moments from the day. And that's because we are retraining our spam filters. My family is sort of split down the center between optimists and what my wife insists on calling realists. And so the realists need a little bit of help seeing the brighter sides of the day. And so taking this on really started to transform their way of looking at the world and looking at their work or school by, by listing your three favorite moments of the day, every night, what happens is the next day, you're looking for those three moments, because you know that you're going to be held accountable to bring it to the group tonight. And so you keep looking for it, and then you keep recalling it. And so the next day, you're a little bit more in tune and a little bit more in tune until you can't unsee all the great stuff in your life, even when things are tough, even in the midst of something like the year 2020.
0: It's funny that you mentioned gratitude because we've just here in the United States gone uh, a couple of weeks now uh, past Thanksgiving. And that's really an exercise in gratitude. And, and, you know, in all of, especially this year when, uh, many of us were finding ourselves in different situations for that holiday than we we're used to. Smaller gatherings or just immediate gatherings of just, you know, our, our households. Starting new traditions where we're more thankful. Not, we're not more thankful. Starting new traditions where we are, uh, exploring that Thankfulness, that gratitude of what we have, and that we're safe, and that 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 does go a long way. In other words, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah. It sounds to me like the the finding the meaning in the work, the inherent meaning in it, or creating meaning even in a quote mundane job, can also help with some of the burnout but it also feels like it's not just about the meaning of the work but it's also there's energy output in the work and stress related to the work uh that also contribute to burnout if i'm not mistaken what, what am i off base here yeah no we talk about
1: demand and and when when we're talking about emotional exhaustion we're talking about demands increased demands will cause emotional exhaustion, which causes burnout. Well, that's a very simplified way of looking at it, because when you look at think of a bartender on a really busy night, right? You remember those times pre- pre-COVID where bartenders <laughs> had busy nights? So a bartender on a really busy night, you know, doing the flare, flipping the drinks, serving like 15 customers at a time in that moment. Do you think that that bartender is feeling burned out? Probably not. That bartender is probably feeling energized. Maybe they're hitting this idea of flow where time starts changing right in front of them. Time starts speeding up and slowing down simultaneously, right? Because that's what happens when we get busy. And when you ask people, what burns them out, they don't say that it's more of the core work that they're there to do. What they identify are all the things, the barriers that stand in the way of them doing the work that they are there to do. So it's the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. It's the interpersonal conflict. It's all of the things that block me from doing, from, from performing my why, from connecting with my why at work and that's and that i think is the big difference so when we see people with high jobs with high demand but where people have autonomy decision authority and they're connected with the work you find that in those jobs and people have have like ultimate control over that demand you find that those jobs are become learning environments that they're growth environments It's only when you find that those levels of increased demand that you don't have control over and that seem to be standing in the way of you doing what you do, where we find that those are the high strain jobs. Those are the jobs that are going to lead to burnout.
0: So if I'm hearing you right, I think one of the ways then that burnout uh is caused by is not through hard work or effort or let's just say uh energy expended because that can be exciting it's when extra energy has to be exerted in order to just do what your regular job is
1: because of the blocking exactly so look at corona right now and um with educators you see that educators are suddenly They they need to impact their children, their students. uh, And we talk a lot within that space about social, emotional well-being of students, in addition to educating them and getting them the knowledge and growth that they need. But now they're told, oh, yeah, you got to do this over a screen, do it through technology that maybe you've never used before and certainly not in a professional way. Right. Or. We're going to be in person and we're going to wear masks. And that kindergarten class that you're working with, you can't go over and give them a hug. If they get a boo-boo, you've got to stay six feet away from them somehow. Even then you, we need to put plexiglass between you and them. Nobody could be within six feet or, or sometimes they make exceptions like four feet of each other. So all of these barriers are standing in the way and then, oh yeah, but by the way, we still want you to have this huge impact, positive impact on these students. And it's like, what, how, how, how am I supposed to do that? And part of that is extremely legitimate. There are additional barriers that make it objectively more difficult to affect the change that you like, that you are there to affect. However, There are also things in play, both in our traditional policies and in the work culture and in our own habits that are also standing in the way of us doing the job because we're trying to do everything the way we know how to do it. And we're not reinventing. We're not innovating. And so we're doing it in the old way with these modifications and we're finding that that our hands are tied. It's not working. So one of the things that we need to do is be able to reinvent and innovate and question everything and not just in a time like this but all the time question why does this policy exist does this policy get me closer to fulfilling my mission and the organization's mission or does it put up an unnecessary barrier between me and that mission
0: and and honestly that's one of the things that You know, the the, the mantra of this show's title beyond the to do list is about is not just thinking in terms of, you know, not just talking about anything and everything beyond the to do list and the norms of productivity, but the ideas behind questioning everything and saying, you know, if that's how we've always done it. Is there a better way to do it that's less blocking? In other words, whether that's as a company, as a team, or as myself personally to, to become more efficient, uh, you know, because there are micro uh, blockers and, and, and friction sometimes that is unnecessary, keeping us from doing the things that we are one paid to do, but two have find meaning in doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything on my calendar and everything on my Asana to do list, everything is either color coded or attached to labeled to one of my goals. And if I put something on that to do list or I put something on the calendar and I cannot link it to one of those those goals, I take pause for a second and think, so why am I doing this? why why am i putting this on my radar why am i putting this on my to-do list and oftentimes it is something that needs to be done because you know i don't know that a trip to the to the motor vehicle administration or whatever is really aligned with one of my core goals but it needs to be there but at least i take pause and question okay why why am i doing this
0: There's one other thing that we haven't really touched on here, which is it's not just about energy spent. It's not about stress only or blockers. It's not about being aware or not of the meaning in the work or the losing track of that or finding it again or uh, instilling it. If you never really, you know, say you have a job that you never thought, oh, well, I'm not doing this for meaning, I'm doing this for pay, but you can still find meaning in that position. There is yeah. one other thing, though, that I think most people usually associate with the word burnout, which is the word vacation. So this this one is a difficult one for for this year specifically. And 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 here's the funny thing. I mean, I, I've been talking with people and typically people do not take the vacation that they're given. Uh, overall, it's just, we well, specifically in the US, we are bad at it. We just are. Um, but this year, more so than ever, because a lot of times it's like, well, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Is it wasting it to do a staycation? How is that any different? And so, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I think it is so important. So, uh, in the US specifically, but it's, it's really spreading. Uh, we push this idea of work life integration. And I think that it's a natural way to go because we grow up with with these with these phones, these computers in our pockets now. And so especially the younger generations, they're like, wait, 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 I should be able to take. Calls from home and deal with stuff in my home life when I'm at work and vice versa. And I shouldn't have to come to the office at nine o'clock until five o'clock. I should be able to be doing work throughout the entire day and dealing with with family and friends and stuff like that throughout the entire day as well. And so we like to we like to put up this integration and have it all be part of one whole. The question is, how healthy is that in its most pure sense? Because we need boundaries to a certain extent where we can re-energize and refill our meter a little bit. But there's this idea, it's almost like a macho thing. You know, the humble brags about how many hours we're working. Uh, We find that organizations that give limitless paid time off have traditionally, their employees use less paid time off than organizations that give set numbers. Set time off, so because it's this macho thing. It's like you're being dared to see how dedicated are you to the work. Taking a break and walking away and re-energizing is a time for create to increase creativity and to remind yourself about that bigger why and to reflect a little bit. It's so important, but we we really we really don't do that enough, and we kind of judge people who do. We judge people or fear that we're going to be judged if we do take the time away.
0: And why is that though? I think I think that I have heard the same thing with the, you know, unlimited vacation time. I've heard a, an organization or two tout. I've heard that same response that people take less of unlimited time because there's some kind of caveat to it. Not not in the fine print or anything, but in the culture of mm-hmm. the um the organization. Because if there's unlimited, then it's more about, okay, well, I well, I don't want to be the guy who's taken more than everybody else if there's unlimited. But if I've if we all have our own set amounts that we have, then I'm justified in what I can take is is kind of the, the flow of the conversation that I think it was an article I was reading that, that kind of stated it. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that when it's it's wide open and you could take a whole lot of time you would take almost none because then it,
1: it almost goes the opposite direction of unwritten rules. Yeah. And it's being modeled by leadership. And oftentimes leaders are not taking that vacation time. Mm. And so you're sort of watching for cues like to see what they do. I was I was speaking to. Um, Some first responders and police officers, and there was a police chief who said to me, I love the idea of giving my people more work-life balance and telling them to unplug, but how the heck do you expect me to unplug? I could get a call at any time, and there could be an emergency. I can never unplug. And my response was, you could be causing emergencies if you don't unplug, because if you are completely unable to unplug, if you're going to if you're going to go down that path and you don't have lieutenants in this in this sense, literal lieutenants that can back you up, that you can trust to cover for you when you're when you're not there. If you can't get a secondary phone that's like the emergency phone, that but turn off your main phone at certain times of the week then what are you communicating to everyone else? They're going to follow your lead. And if you are not setting up boundaries between your work and an external to work life, then how do you expect your officers to do that? And ultimately, that's really dangerous because they will burn out more often and they will be working exhausted and, and they need that time. And so does this police chief
0: let's do some some helping some prescribing i mean we're talking all around the awareness of it what is burnout how do we you know identify it in ourselves how do we notice it ahead of time uh not just in ourselves but in our organizations in our teammates And, you know, what are the causes of it? But I want to deal with, okay, say we've bordered into it. Like, how do we undo it? How do we, you know, say it's too late, say we are burned out or someone we know is, how do we counteract that? Now, obviously what we were just talking about was vacation time and that could really help. Maybe you just need to say, okay, you know what? No, I need to see how much time I have and then see what's realistic for me to take some as soon as possible. But other than that, what are some approaches here?
1: right unplugging in that moment is extremely important but not always possible other things that you could do are to reconnect to why you do what you do so depending on depending on what you're doing if you're a teacher connect with a student if you're an entrepreneur and and working with working with professionals or individuals reach out to one of them and have sort of a personal conversation ask them What value you bring, right? Explore that with them. Find out what kind of impact you're actually having through your work. Reconnect with that instead of getting, instead of getting in the weeds some more and trying to just, just power through, uh, the, the work itself, the, the mundane sort of work. Reconnect with that, with that deeper meaning by looking at the end result of the work that you're doing. I think, I think that that's really, really important. And the other thing is to revisit your own values and the values of the organization and, and to make sure that those do align. People have asked me in the past, if, I, if I'm burned out or if I don't feel appreciated here, should I, just, should I leave? And it, it was really interesting, actually. I was doing a keynote, and afterwards, somebody asked, and this was an internal in an organization, and somebody asked, if I don't feel appreciated here and they don't appreciate me anyway, should I leave? And the whole room sort of went silent. And I said, that should be the, the you know, last sort of last thing you try for all people involved. For the organization, firing somebody should be the last thing you do. Um, for the individual, quitting should be the last thing because it's not like – there's this concept that we need to find the perfect job, this meaningful work, this, this, this work that's out there. where We're able to a hundred percent of the day do everything that we love and are great at. And we're going to be engaged all the time. That's not, I haven't found that I haven't found that job, but instead, are we really looking at the job the way we should, your current job, are there things that you could be connecting with that you're not connecting with? Are there ways that you can job craft, which is this concept of changing the job, like working mostly inside the line, sometimes going a little outside the lines of duty, but reworking the way you do your job and the way you visualize your job and making it something bigger. We find that those people are the, the big job crafters are the ones that are the most engaged typically. The people who, um, so for instance, I was uh working in one of my very early jobs. I was working in a dog kennel a long time ago. I thought I wanted to be a vet before I knew there was physics and chemistry involved in the process. <laughs> so I uh, wanted to be a veterinarian. So I'm working my way up through these uh dog kennels through college. And uh I remember that I'm that I'm scooping up, you know, like dog feces and i'm doing this in the kennel right next to a coworker of mine we're both doing the exact same work technically but anybody who would walk by and look at my face and her face would know that we were doing completely different work because the way i saw my job was that i was i was creating the safer cleaner environment for these dogs. A lot of who were suffering, they were at the vet's office and they were sick and I knew what I was doing. And not only did I stop there, I didn't stop there. I also went to the vets and said, can I sit in on a surgery? Can I help in any other ways? While this person was literally just picking up poop for a living. We had the exact same job, but it was completely different. And so when we find ourselves going down that that uh, path of burnout or where we were already very far down, it's time to reassess. Are we really interpreting our job in the right way? Are we looking at it in the right way? Are there things that we want to be doing within our organization that for whatever reason we just aren't right now? Is there something else that we can take on or something that we can change to make our job more meaningful?
0: I think that's a great place to button up for now but I, you know, I think that there are some questions maybe then that we have to ask ourselves in terms of self-assessment and or, you know, looking next to us and seeing, like you said, is that other person just shoveling poop or are they doing something to change the environment? Uh, and, and or am I doing that? What's, what, what is my, my perspective on what it is I'm doing? Cause that's a huge deal in terms of a lot of the other pieces that we talked about in terms of causes and um, remedies for burnout. Absolutely. Oh, man, so good. I want to tell people how they can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing, David. So uh, let's direct people to where they can find more about you.
1: Yeah. So they can, uh, find me on my website, uh, PMC as in performance management consultants, illuminate PMC.com. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. They can find me there linkedin.com slash IN slash David Shar. And if, if you'd like, I could send them a link to get my burnout proof culture model. Um, that they could see I really start with selection through training and development. Through social support, how you really create a burnout proof uh, work environment, which is most appropriate for people within management, supervisory, leadership roles. Um, But I can send you a link for that as well.
0: That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll put that up in the uh, show notes. Thank you. Awesome. David, it's been great talking with you. I am hopeful uh, that (laughs) a lot of people will find benefit from this, but also hopeful that we'll get to talk again sometime in the near future. Sounds
1: great. Thanks again, Eric.
0: Well, that's another podcast. Cross off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with David Shar. I hope that you gained insight into burnout as well as meaningful work and designing that, as well as using that to avoid and proactively preempt burnout. As we're wrapping up this calendar year, I hope that you, like me, are taking steps to avoid burnout recharge and make this next year a bit better because we sure do deserve it if you know somebody else who needs to hear this conversation would you do them and me the favor of sharing this episode just hit that share button on that podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this or head on over to the show notes at beyond the to-do list.com where you'll find all the other ways to share there thank you so much for sharing thanks for listening and i'll see you next episode